Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. What is the eternal gospel John speaks about in the revelation of Jesus Christ? Today, many people wonder whether the simple gospel still works. I have good news for you. The answer is absolutely yes, because it's an eternal gospel. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is eternal, not evolving. That means we must adapt to it, not the other way around. Our thoughts and the culture are always shifting and evolving. But the eternal gospel always has been and will be the hope of the world. I'm Ron Jones. Something good starts right now. One day, all believers in Christ will have permanent victory over Satan. But what about now? How can you walk in victory when it sometimes feels like you're losing? Hello and welcome to this Tuesday edition of Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. My name is Brian, so glad you've tuned in. It's a question that demands an answer. Can we experience victory in this dark and fallen world? And if so, how? Answers come your way next as Ron continues his teaching series, Mysteries of the Apocalypse, The Last Days of Planet Earth, and The Return of Jesus Christ. Stay with us now or drop by somethinggoodradio.org to listen to the broadcast on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Listen or subscribe to the podcast at Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. From Revelation chapter 14, here's Ron with today's Something Good Radio message, Bible prophecy and the big picture. My wife Catherine and her father shared a passion for jigsaw puzzles. I figured this out shortly after we got married because for a number of years, uh, we would take a family vacation together with uh, Catherine's parents and her two brothers, their wives, and all the aunts and uncles and cousins and grandkids. We'd all get together. Usually her mom and dad would get the place at the beach, and we just had to get ourselves there because we lived in different parts of the country, and we took care of the food and all the cooking. It was a pretty good deal. You know, grandma and grandpa get in the place, and we, we just arrive with the kids. And shortly after we would arrive at whatever beach location, it wasn't long before Catherine or her dad would, would pull out the box, that jigsaw puzzle, and they'd dump it onto the kitchen table and spread out, I don't know, 500 pieces, may, maybe 1,000 pieces if they felt really ambitious. And then they'd, they'd set up the, the box cover over here with the picture on it, and they'd get after it. And throughout the week, you know, they'd come back to the table, and they'd come in and out of the beach and back and forth from the pool and all the activities of the week, and, and they'd do a piece here and a piece there. Uh, her dad could sit there for hours at the table and just ponder this piece or that piece. I was never much help. I, I'm not much for all the, all the tiny little details over here. I, I wanted to see the big picture. What is this thing going to look like? In fact, I can't even do a 10-piece jigsaw puzzle if I don't see the big picture. All right? It's important for me to see the big picture. Well, Bible prophecy is a lot like putting together a jigsaw puzzle. And sometimes it feels like a thousand different pieces stretched out over the pages of Scripture, and it's enough to try to tackle the, 
the book of Revelation. I mean, this is an intimidating book, isn't it? There's 22 chapters, a lot of symbols, apocalyptic literature and all of that. And then you got to tie it in, as we have with the book of Daniel and other prophecies. I mean, as I said in the beginning of the series, one-fourth of the Bible, scholars say, when it was written, and remember the Bible was written over 1,600 years, but one-fourth of it when it was written was prophetic in nature. It talked about the future. And so God has the big picture, but, but it's like a jigsaw puzzle to us, and He gives us a piece here and a piece there and a glimpse here and a glimpse there. And every once in a while, it's, it's important for us to take a few steps back, take a you know, deep breath and just say, what's the big picture of all of this? And we've come to kind of a midpoint in our study of the book of Revelation. We're in chapter 14 in a 22-chapter book. And it occurred to me that as I dove into chapter 14, John is not advancing the chronology of events that are taking place during this time in Bible prophecy known as the tribulation. It's important to kind of get your chronology down, and some of that's debated, but there's nothing in chapter 14 that advances the chronology. What he does is he, is he takes a few steps back and he gives us the big picture of what's happening. There are four puzzle pieces that I want to talk about this morning that John helps us with in chapter 14. And if you're ready to get after this puzzle, here's the first one. This is a big one. Jesus wins, and we win with Him. Say that with me. Jesus wins, and we win with Him. Here's how John says it and gives us a picture. Chapter 14, beginning in verse 1, Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with Him 144,000 who had His name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins, uh, a way of saying that they didn't marry during the tribulation time. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as firstfruits for God and the Lamb, and in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. You know, Christians, we Christians are famous for saying, I read the last book and I read the last chapter of the last book, and Jesus wins. You ever said something like that? Oh, come on. Have you ever said something like that? Sure you have, all right? And it's true. He does win. But it's a little bit interesting to me that John would give us a picture of the Lamb of God in victory when we're only halfway through the book. Uh, it's a little bit like a basketball team celebrating the victory of the game, and it's only halftime. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? But here John gives us a picture of Jesus, the Lamb of God, standing on Mount Zion with the 144,000 Jewish evangelists who come to faith in Jesus Christ shortly after the tribulation begins. They are standing in victory with Jesus. And I believe that this is a picture of Jesus standing on Mount Zion at the beginning of what's known as the millennial reign or the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ. What John does is he fast-forwards to the end of the tribulation, 
and to the beginning of the millennial reign, and he gives us a picture of Jesus. There's some debate among the scholars as to whether Mount Zion is talking about a heavenly Mount Zion or an earthly Mount Zion. I believe this is a picture of Jesus as he comes standing on Mount Zion in Jerusalem with the 144,000 there standing in victory, and they're singing a song. They're singing a victory song. It sounds a little bit like, we are the champions. Well, not exactly, but it's a song like that. They're standing in victory. They're singing a victory song. And the 144,000, you know, are, are in some way representative of all believers in Jesus Christ, but they are specifically those who came to faith in Christ and led this this spiritual awakening and this gospel witness on planet earth during the tribulation period. I just find it a little bit interesting that John does this, and we're only halfway through the book. I did hear about a a basketball team. I tried to confirm this with my son, and we couldn't find the story, but I know I I heard the story somewhere. It was about a team that was in the midst of a, I don't know, a seven-game series or a five-game series. They were up like three to one. They were in game five, and they were winning at halftime, and, and they were ahead in the third quarter, and the tournament officials just decided to move the championship trophy into their locker room and put the champagne on ice. And the problem was, as the third quarter went on and the fourth quarter went on, the game changed. And they eventually ended up losing that game. And so they had to go into game six and eventually game seven. Well, the tournament officials had to grab the trophy and pull it out and, you know, put the champagne on ice someplace else. It's a little premature to celebrate the victory at halftime or in the middle of the third quarter. So why is John doing this? Well, again, he's giving us a glimpse of the end of the game. And I was trying to get my mind wrapped around the implication of all this happening in John chapter 14. We know Jesus wins, and we win with Him. We share in His victory. But what does that mean for us today? As we walk out of this place and we go to work tomorrow, and what does that mean for us? I jotted down these words. One of the great challenges in the Christian life is living in the present victory that is ours in Jesus Christ. Would you agree with me on that? We are overcomers in Jesus Christ. We are the champions in Him. Frankly, it doesn't always look like Christians are winning, though, in this world, especially when sincere believers in Jesus Christ get their heads cut off by Islamic jihadists. It doesn't feel like we are the champions when anti-Christian sentiment is increasing as it is in the United States today. And in times like this, it's too easy for Christians to walk in defeat, not victory. And without faith, it will be challenging for believers during the tribulation to walk in victory. It'll be a challenge for believers to do that, to walk in faith. And yet, didn't Jesus say in Luke chapter 18 and verse 8, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on this earth? The kind of faith that is able to sing, we are the champions, right in the middle of the tribulation, right in the middle of a time when the game seems to be changing a little bit in the favor of the opponent. Well, here's why we can walk by faith and as the overcomers we are in Christ, because the trophy is already in Jesus' locker room, and it's not going anywhere just because the devil appears to win a small battle here and a small battle there. Jesus has already won the victory on the cross, and by His resurrection, Him standing on Mount Zion with the 144,000 
Jewish evangelists at the end of the tribulation and before the millennial is proof of this reality. And John wants us to get that big picture right in the midst of difficult times. Don't go away. We're only about halfway through today's message with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Today's teaching is part of Ron's series, Mysteries of the Apocalypse, The Last Days of Planet Earth, and The Return of Jesus Christ. Visit our updated website, somethinggoodradio.org, for more information on this series or to hear any of Ron's daily messages on demand. That's somethinggoodradio.org. And when you stop by, check out something new from Dr. Ron Jones that we're calling Something Good Television. SGTV is a weekly broadcast featuring Ron's Bible teaching ministry. If you're looking for Bible teaching for everyday life, Something Good Television is the place to go. Stop by to check out the sample episodes at somethinggoodradio.org. We can't help the way we feel, but we can choose the way we live. By faith, not feelings. Here's Ron with the rest of today's Something Good Radio message, Bible prophecy and the big picture. And some, some of you are right there. You're, you're having a hard time living in the present victory that is yours in Jesus Christ because it seems like the devil's whipping you all over the court. And some of you are saying, Pastor, I, 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 just, don't, I just don't feel very victorious today. I don't feel like an overcomer today. All right, I understand that. But since when is the Christian life based on your feelings? It's never been based on our feelings. In fact, if you live according to your feelings, you'll be up and down all the time. You'll feel saved one day and not saved the next day. You'll feel like a, a, a victorious person one day and a loser the next day. You'll feel like Jesus is winning in my life, and the next day the devil is just beating the snot out of me. Because feelings will always fail you. Feelings are, 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 are terribly uh, unreliable. No, we live our lives by faith. That's why Jesus says when the Son of Man comes, will he find any spiritual feelings on this earth? No, he says, will the Son of Man find any faith on this earth? And by the way, fear and faith cannot coexist any more than our feelings can drive the bus here. Uh, faith eclipses fear, but the other side of that is true as well. A any fear that we have always replaces our faith. So we have to take a step of faith, let our feelings catch up, and let that faith chase away the fears. And that step of faith is based upon the facts of the gospel. The reason John could take the championship trophy and move it into Jesus' locker room at halftime in our study of the book of Revelation is because the facts are Jesus wins and we win with him. We share in that victory. And somebody better shout hallelujah today because tomorrow's going to be a rough day for somebody here. And you need to live in that present victory that is yours and mine in Jesus Christ. That's, that's jigsaw puzzle number one on our way to seeing the big picture of Bible prophecy. Here's the second one. The gospel is the world's only hope. Now, I know that's a simple statement, but here's how John shows it to us in verses 6 and 7. Listen to this. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel 
to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, fear God and give Him glory, because the hour of His judgment has come. And worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Now, if you read chapter 14 carefully, you'll find no less than six angels that are a part of what's happening in chapter 14. And here's the first one that comes along. And he's flying overhead, John says, and he's carrying what John calls an eternal gospel, an eternal gospel. Now, angelic messengers in the Bible, there's nothing new with that. In fact, you read the Bible from Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation, you're going to find angels delivering messages from God. Uh, That happened time and time again. We think of Christmas and other times in the Bible where the angel of the Lord appeared. Uh, This is probably the first and only time in the Bible where, where an angel is said to bring a gospel message, and especially in the New Testament, because The gospel messengers in the New Testament are Jesus' disciples, not angels. Oh, they bring messages, but not gospel messages, especially during the last days, which are marked by Jesus' birth in Bethlehem all the way to the end of the age. Jesus said to His disciples in Acts 1 and verse 8, you are my witnesses. You're my emissaries. You're my ambassadors. You are my gospel voices on this earth. But if you've been following our study in the book of Revelation, one of the events yet to be happening, a future event in Bible prophecy, is known as the rapture of the church. This is the event that starts the whole thing where the, the church is, is snatched out of this world, the rapture takes place, and God's gospel witness disappears. But as we talked about in weeks past, God doesn't leave His earth without a gospel witness. Immediately, we learn about the 144,000 Jewish evangelists, these these Jews who see Jesus as their Messiah. They come to faith in Jesus Christ, and they're used of God to bring about the greatest spiritual awakening in human history. Uh, Tens of thousands, if not hundreds, if not millions of people come to faith in Christ during the tribulation period, led by the witness of these 144,000 Jews. And then there are two mysterious witnesses that appear that the description of them sounds a lot like the prophet Elijah and and Moses. We talked about that. And then we have this angel who flies overhead with a message about an eternal gospel. Another reminder that God doesn't leave His earth ever without a gospel witness, and that the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ always has and always will be the world's only hope even during the tribulation period. Now, it's interesting, you know, a lot of people today wonder if the simple gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ still works, or do we need to update it some? And I would say, without question, it still works. Why? Because this angel carries an eternal gospel. Mark that down. Circle that in your Bible. It's not an evolving gospel gospel. It's an eternal gospel. And there are a lot of people today in politics and other places who talk about how, well, my thoughts have evolved on this. Yeah, we, we, we humans, our thoughts evolve because we don't have perfect thinking on things. And we were wrong in the past and we evolved and got right. Or maybe we were right in the past and we evolved and now we're on the wrong side of things. 
But the gospel never evolves. It's an eternal gospel, which means we adapt to it, not the other way around. Culture is always evolving. Culture is always changing from one generation to the next. But the one thing you can count on in every generation is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is eternal, as eternal as God is. But, of course, the prevailing philosophy in the world today is evolutionary, evolutionary thoughts, evolutionary origins, evolutionary everything. We're evolving as a culture, and it just, you know, puts you in this mishmash of you don't know what's right, you don't know what's wrong, you, you don't know what to stand on from one generation to the next, let alone from one minute to the next. Because your truth is your truth, and my truth is my truth. Truth is relative to the individual, the evolutionary thinker says. And relativism and evolutionary thought dominates the world today. Thanks for being here for today's Something Good radio message, Bible Prophecy in the Big Picture. And we'll pick it up right here tomorrow when Ron continues his teaching series, Mysteries of the Apocalypse, The Last Days of Planet Earth, and The Return of Jesus Christ. Hello, friend. I'm Ron Jones of Something Good Radio. If you've been with us for a while, if you're a regular listener and God is using this broadcast in your life, I want to speak directly to you. When you first tuned in or streamed something good, did you know that other people paid to air that program? We call them our ministry partners. They have people just like you in mind when they donate monthly to something good, which is a 100% listener-supported ministry. Now that you're a regular listener, will you do the same? Will you help us share something good with someone else? We created the 828 Club for people who choose to partner with this ministry through prayer and monthly financial support. It's based on Romans 828, which in the message says, every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. I'm asking you to prayerfully consider joining the 828 Club today by giving $28 or more per month to share something good with someone else. And when you do, we'll send you some resources to help you grow in your relationship with God. It's our way of saying thanks for your partnership in this gospel ministry. So please join the 828 Club today. Here's Brian with all the details. Partnership is essential in order for the body of Christ to fulfill the Great Commission. It always has been. Today, Ron wants to invite you to join him in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ through the Something Good radio broadcast. When you partner with us, we'll start by sending you a copy of Ron's book, Mysteries of the Afterlife, exploring its amazing secrets. Other 828 Club benefits will arrive throughout the year. To join the 828 Club today, look for Something Good Partners at somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org or call 757-276-1099. If you can't become a partner, but would like to make a donation to Something Good Radio today, we'll be happy to send you the complete audio download of the series you're hearing now, Mysteries of the Apocalypse, The Last Days of Planet Earth, and The Return of Jesus Christ. Make a donation online at somethinggoodradio.org or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia, 23456. You can also call our offices at 757 276 1099. 
the Bible is really a tale of two cities, the city of Jerusalem and the city of Babylon. It starts with Babel, which became Babylon, and, and then Salem, which became Jerusalem. You can read about those in the early chapters of Genesis, and, and then trace those two cities, the city of man, which is Babylon, and the holy city of God, which is Jerusalem. At the end of the age, and when the new heaven and the new earth are pictured in Revelation 20 and 21 and 22, John sees the new Jerusalem, the holy city of God coming down. It's a beautiful picture. I can't wait to get there and show it to you. But the tale of these two cities, uh, Babel has, has always been the city of man, symbolically and otherwise. Let me take you uh, through a little bit of historical journey and, and reveal some of the mysteries of Babylon. That's tomorrow in part two of Dr. Ron Jones' message, Bible Prophecy and the Big Picture. Join us then for Something Good. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis saying God bless and thanks for listening.